Henry Foster loomed up through the twilight of the embryo store. Like to come to a feely this evening? Lenina shook her head without speaking. Henry detected the weariness in those purple eyes, the sadness at the corners of the unsmiling crimson mouth. You're not feeling ill, are you? Once more, Lenina shook her head. She turned back to her neglected embryos. John, she murmured to herself. John. Then, my Ford, have I given this one its sleeping sickness injection, or haven't I? She simply couldn't remember. In the end, she decided not to run the risk of letting it have a second dose and moved down the line to the next bottle. Twenty-two years, eight months and four days from that moment, a promising young alpha-minus administrator at Mwanza Mwanza was to die of trypanosomiasis, the first case for over half a century. An hour later, in the changing room, Fanny was energetically protesting. But it's absurd to let yourself get into a state like this, and what about a man? One man! But he's the one I want. Don't think of him. I can't help it. Take Soma, then. I do. Well, why don't you just go and take him, whether he wants it or no? The bell rang, and the savage, who was impatiently hoping that Helmholtz would come that afternoon, jumped up and ran to the door. On the threshold, in a white acetate satin sailor suit and with a round white cap rakishly tilted over her left ear, stood Lenina. Oh, said the savage. Half a gram had been enough to make Lenina forget her fears and embarrassments. Smiling, she walked past him into the room. Hello, John. He closed the door and followed her. Lenina sat down. You don't seem very glad to see me. The savage looked at her reproachfully, then suddenly he fell on his knees before her, and taking Lenina's hand, reverently kissed it. Admired Lenina, indeed the top of admiration worth what's dearest in the world. Oh, you so perfect, she was leaning towards him with parted lips, so perfect and so peerless are created, nearer and nearer, of every creature's best, still nearer. The savage suddenly scrambled to his feet. That's why I wanted to do something first. I mean to show I was worthy of you. She caught him by the wrist. Answer me this question. Do you really like me, or don't you? I love you more than anything in the world. Then why on earth didn't you say so? And suddenly her arms were round his neck. He felt her lips soft against his own. He remembered the feely, ooh, ooh, the blonde, and ah, ah, her more than real lover. Horror, horror. He tried to disengage himself, but Lenina tightened her embrace. Why didn't you say so, you silly boy? I wanted you so much, and if you wanted me too, why didn't you? She put her hand to her neck, and... Zip gave a long vertical pull. Her white blouse was ripped to the hem. Lenina, what are you doing? Her answer was wordless. Zip, 
Zip, she stepped out of her bell-bottom trousers. Her zippy nicks were a pale shell pink. The arch-community songster's golden tea dangled at her breast. For those milk paps that through the window bars bore at men's eyes, the strongest oaths are straw to the fire in the blood. Be more abstemious or else. Zip, the rounded pinkness fell apart like a neatly divided apple. A wriggle of the arms, a lifting first of the right foot, then the left. The zippy nicks were lying lifeless and as though deflated on the floor. Still wearing her shoes and socks and her rakishly tilted round white cap, she advanced towards him. Darling, darling, if only you'd said so before, she held out her arms. But instead of also saying, darling, and holding out his arms, the savage retreated in horror, flapping his hands at her as though he were trying to scare away some intruding and dangerous animal. Four backward steps, and he was brought to bay against the wall. Sweet, said Lenina, and laying her hands on his shoulders, pressed herself against him. Put your arms round me, hug me till you drug me, honey. She, too, had poetry at her command. The savage caught her by the wrists, tore her hands from his shoulders, thrust her roughly away at arm's length. What is it, John? He stared into her face. The hands that held her wrists were trembling. Oh! Impudent strumpet! Get out of my sight or I'll kill you! He clenched his fists. Lenina raised her arm to cover her face. No, please, don't! John! Hurry up! Quick! One arm still raised, and following his every movement with a terrified eye, she scrambled to her feet and made a dash for the bathroom. Outside, the savage was striding up and down, marching, marching to the drums and music of magical words. The wren goes to it, and the small gilded fly does lecher in my sight. But to the girdle do the gods inherit, beneath is all the fiends. There's hell, there's darkness, there is the sulphurous pit, burning, scalding, stench, consumption. Her perfume still hung about him. His jacket was white with the powder that had scented her velvety body. Impudent strumpet, impudent strumpet. Lenina sat, listening to the footsteps in the other room, wondering, as she listened, how long he was likely to go tramping up and down like that. She was interrupted in the midst of these uneasy speculations by the sound of the telephone. Abruptly, the tramping ceased. Hello? Mr. Savage speaking. Is it serious? Is she really bad? I'll go at once. Where has she been taken? Oh, my God! What's the address? Thanks. Lenina heard the click of the replaced receiver, then hurrying steps. A door slammed. Was he really gone? It wasn't till she was in the lift and actually dropping down the well that she began to feel herself secure. The Park Lane Hospital for the Dying was a sixty-storey tower of primrose tiles. As the savage stepped out of his taxicopter, a convoy of gaily-coloured aerial hearses rose, whirring from the roof, and darted away across the park westwards, bound for the Slough Crematorium. At the lift gates, the presiding porter gave him the information he required, and he dropped down to Ward 81, 
a galloping senility ward, the porter explained, on the seventeenth floor. It was a large room, bright with sunshine and yellow paint, and containing twenty beds, all occupied. Linda was dying in company, and with all the modern conveniences. The air was continuously alive with gay synthetic melodies. At the foot of every bed, confronting its moribund occupant, was a television, which was left on, a running tap from morning till night. Every quarter of an hour, the prevailing perfume of the room was automatically changed. We try, explained the nurse, who had taken charge of the savage at the door, to create a thoroughly pleasant atmosphere here, something between a first-class hotel and a feely palace, if you take my meaning. Is there any hope? You mean of her not dying? No, of course there isn't. When somebody's sent here, there's no... Why, whatever's the matter? She's my mother. The nurse glanced at him with startled, horrified eyes, then quickly looked away. From throat to temple, she was all one hot blush. Take me to her. Still blushing, she led the way down the ward, passing faces still fresh and unwithered, for senility affected only the heart and brain. The savage shuddered as he looked. Linda was lying in the last of the long row of beds next to the wall. Propped up on pillows, she was watching the semi-finals of the South American Ryman Surface Tennis Championship. She looked on. Her pale, bloated face wore an expression of imbecile happiness. Every now and then her eyelids closed, and for a few seconds she seemed to be dozing. Then, with a little start, she would wake up again to the antics of the tennis champions, to the warm draught of verbena that came blowing through the ventilator above her head, or, rather, wake to a dream of these things, transformed and embellished by the soma in her blood, and smile her broken and discoloured smile of infantile contentment. "'Well, I must go,' said the nurse. "'Make yourself comfortable.' She walked briskly away. The savage sat down beside the bed. Linda, he whispered, taking her hand. At the sound of her name, she turned. Her vague eyes brightened with recognition. She squeezed his hand. She smiled. Her lips moved. Then quite suddenly her head fell forward. She was asleep. He sat watching her. Seeking through the tired flesh, seeking and finding that young, bright face which had stooped over his childhood in Malpay, remembering, and he closed his eyes, her voice, her movements, all the events of their life together. Streptococ G to Banbury T. How beautiful her singing had been. He felt the hot tears welling up behind his eyelids as he recalled the reading lessons. The tot is in the pot, the cat is on the mat. And long evenings by the fire, or in summertime on the roof of the little house, when she told him those stories about the other place, outside the reservation. That beautiful other place, whose memory, as of a heaven, he still kept intact undefiled by contact with the reality of this real London.
Linda stirred, woke up, then, lifting her face, sniffed at the newly perfumed air. Oh, I do so like it. I do. She sank back into the pillows. The savage squeezed her limp hand and felt a faint, answering pressure. He bent over her and kissed her. Her lips moved. Purpay. But I'm John. I'm John. And he actually caught her by the shoulder and shook her. Linda's eyes fluttered open. She saw him, knew him. John. But fancied him an intruder into that paradisal Malpay where she'd been spending her Soma holiday with Pope. What is it, Linda? What is it? The look she gave him was charged with an unspeakable terror. And, it seemed to him, reproach. She tried to raise herself. The next moment she fell back on the pillows, face horribly distorted, lips blue. She was dead. The savage fell on his knees, and covering his face with his hands, sobbed uncontrollably.